what can we learn about the next generation of healthcare plans and design from the journey of a former labor negotiator and think tank director? And how can we use some of his techniques, including creating an eBay-like platform to have PBMs bid against each other for your business? We'll find out on this episode of Shift Shapers. Change either paralyzes or energizes. The choice is yours. You're listening to the Shift Shapers podcast. You're about to learn firsthand from businesses and entrepreneurs who have successfully shaped the shifts in their industries. Get ready to become the change that you want to see. Here's your host and chief transformation strategist, David Saltzman. This episode of the Shift Shapers podcast is brought to you by Captivated Health a captive insurance arrangement that helps small and mid-market companies escape the fully insured marketplace and delivers stability, control, and savings without watering down employees' benefits or increasing their premium share. If you have clients in the educational institution or the engineering vertical, go to our website at CaptivatedHealth.com or click on the company logo on the Shift Shapers website. On this episode of Shift Shapers, we're speaking with Mark Bloom. Mark is Executive Director of America's Agenda, which is a nonprofit healthcare delivery innovation center. He's also president of Solidaritas Health. We'll talk about how those things go together and how they came about. But we wanted to talk to Mark because he's created some very interesting innovations in healthcare plan design. And also, I think you'll be fascinated by the path that he and his organizations took to get to those plan designs. So with that, welcome, Mark. Good to be with you, David. Thank you. We appreciate you spending some time with our audience. So America's Agenda came first. How did America's Agenda come about? Well, a little over a decade ago, about 2005, we were looking at a healthcare economy that everyone else was looking at with costs rising four to five times more rapidly than workers' wages and by a multiple of, of business revenue as well. We knew that was unsustainable. I had spent a couple of decades as a labor organizer and bargainer, and the one intractable issue, we could find common ground on virtually every issue, the intractable issue was healthcare because the problem of hyperinflation health costs wasn't created by management. It was created exogenously outside of our system, but managers had no option except for to attempt to shift costs onto workers. Labor relations always became acrimonious. In fact, every strike in labor virtually over the last few decades, every difficult negotiation I was involved in was centrally around the issue of healthcare. We couldn't solve at the bargaining table. We just had to fight a lose-lose battle over, over cost shifting. So America's agenda was formed after a very large and acrimonious strike in Southern California, about 70,000 workers on strike for 120 days, United Food and Commercial Workers. The strike was resolved, but I think it's fair to say neither side achieved its goals. Neither side won. And a realization amongst a number of labor leaders and also business leaders came around the idea that we needed to address the issue of hyperinflation of health costs, a problem that was preventing Americans from buying health insurance. So America's Agenda was born with the mission of of achieving affordable, high-quality health care for every American. The organization was formed as an alliance led by labor, but with employer and innovative health provider allies. And we set about to focus 
initially on universal health care legislation in the states. And that was our focus until the emergence of the Affordable Care Act, where our focus became on federal legislation. So then you, you kind of had to make a turn, as a lot of us did, when ACA came, because it changed the entire landscape. And I mean, I completely concur with you. I've negotiated, as we discussed off air, a couple of collective bargaining agreements in, in different parts of my career as well. And it was almost always the health insurance piece that that got you. But you started thinking about what you could do on a more limited basis, on a state basis. And I know you had some initiatives in Maine and Vermont. Can you talk about those a little bit? Yeah, glad to. Governor Baldacci in Maine was elected with a vision of universal health care for Mainers, universal coverage. It was really the first state in a period what looked like at the time a generation of state initiatives to achieve universal health care. That wasn't likely in 2005, 2006. We weren't likely to see leadership at the federal level. So Dirigo Health was legislated before America's Agenda was founded, in fact, and it was under assault from the national health insurance industry, AHIP leading the charge, from the Republican conservative right. The Heritage Foundation had set up the main Heritage Policy Center, 24-hour messaging against socialist health care and other kinds of attacks. Dirigo wasn't all that. In fact, it was what we subsequently learned, a really flawed healthcare delivery design or healthcare solution, an attempt to get universal health care, but fundamentally flawed. It was it was really a train wreck in hindsight, but we didn't want it to fall. And so not with attacks by the the right or or by the insurance industry. We wanted at least Maine to have a shot. So Governor Baldacci, the state AFL CIO, invited us in, some progressive groups in Maine, to run a political campaign, a messaging campaign to save Dirigo Health from three different bills in, in that session, 2005, which would have gutted financing. We did that. We won them all, put very novel and unique messaging together. We brought the Catholic Church together. The culture of life was uh, a theme where the a new young Archbishop of, of Portland joined the campaign, saying, if you believe in the culture of life, you have to believe in health care for the recently born and the born long ago. We repelled the attacks that year on Dirigo. And then Legislators in Vermont had passed a health care reform bill. We moved over to Vermont at the request of Democratic leadership initially. Governor Douglas, a very thoughtful Republican governor, had vetoed a bill that was very widely supported, and his favorabilities didn't fall at all. And legislators asked us what to do, what's next. In the end, in Vermont, polling with AARP, with the Vermont NEA, with the AFL-CIO, various progressive businesses in Vermont. We did polling and we found that Mainers really believe that every Mainer should have health care coverage. They believed it intensively, but Mainers were more intensively concerned with the rising cost of their own health care. 90% of Mainers already had health care. And so we realized that any successful campaign had to be around the affordability of health care. Well, we knew how to message, we knew how to message health care reform, but we didn't know how to address affordability. And America's Agenda, which was initially a political operations, a campaign shop, a messaging, a political communication shop, quickly had to become a policy shop, figure out what is driving the, cost, the, the rising cost of healthcare. Our conclusion was it was a delivery system that was fundamentally fragmented, that most of the costs lay in management and treatment of chronic diseases, that they weren't 
treated very efficiently in the current healthcare system, that primary care was, was underutilized. The net result was the development of legislation which really addressed the rising cost of healthcare by restructuring the way care is delivered, by strengthening the primary care sector, by offering an insurance option, a, a, an insurance vehicle with, with a sliding scale of premiums based on, on income, which allowed poor Vermonters to get into the system. But it was fundamentally a care delivery redesign rather than design of a new insurance program. Very different from what's happening in Massachusetts, where Governor Romney had just passed his bill, which became the, the predecessor to the ACA, which was an insurance expansion. Vermont's was an insurance expansion, but at its core was a redesign of primary care, development of community-based health teams to help transform primary care practices. A couple of pilot programs, actually four in four pilot regions, were developed. And the new design that America's Agenda developed that legislators passed and Governor Douglas ultimately signed on to, we found common ground between Republicans and Democrats, was piloted for two years, David. And the net result was that health costs fell by 12% in those pilot regions. That's huge. Yes, it was a big deal. So how did that bring you to the, uh, the this model at Solidaritas Health where – and I'm fascinated by this, where labor owns the plans. And can you talk about what, what the complexion of that is? Sure. Essentially, just a really quick fast forward, we'd hope to import those ideas of care delivery redesign into the ACA. And the ACA, for reasons of politics at the time, turned out to be an insurance expansion bill, not a care delivery redesign bill. And when the ACA passed, we actually applauded that 33 million Americans have access to health insurance, but but there wasn't a coherent strategy for addressing health costs. So we did a turn to the private sector, looking at innovators, particularly in the primary care sector, who were really looking at transforming health care. We looked at the patient-centered medical home back in 05 as kind of the gold standard, but we also had found through experience over a number of years that it was very difficult to scale for a number of reasons. At the core was that still the patient-centered medical home was a fee-for-service model. We need to get beyond a volume-based or volume-incenting model to a, a model that incented health outcomes rather than volume of billable events, billable appointments. So we began looking at direct primary care in particular as that vehicle. And, and we began to work with the most innovative direct primary care practices. It was a a new concept in 2010, 2011, 2012, but working with them to shape them as solutions for labor plans. And ultimately, after a number of years of working with, with, with some of the, the leaders who were backed by venture capital groups, who were backed by corporations, we became really conscious that when it came down to what in bargaining we, <laughs> we call cutting time to make the financial deal, that ultimately the savings that were generated by these models, there was a struggle and that the providers wanted those savings in the form of profits to the provider. We understand we respect the profit motive, of course, but we were looking to create savings that could reduce cost growth for the purchaser. That is, for the company, the employer-sponsored plan, or the jointly governed plan. Many of our plans, most of our plans are jointly governed by labor unions and, and employers. 
And we realized that over the long run, we might get good transactional terms, a great deal from an innovative primary care provider initially, but those terms always deteriorate over time because people, if people like their healthcare, they don't want to leave it. Our leadership are elected to tell people to leave healthcare that they like because it's become too expensive is politically very difficult to achieve. We realized the best way to align the interests of the healthcare provider and the patients and the purchasers, that is the the employer, purchaser, and the patients who labor represents, the best way to, to align their incentives is for labor actually to own the provider. So Solidarity's Health was formed with the goal of taking the most advanced, most innovative, the highest value primary care model designs and bring them to the marketplace to employers and to unions to be owned by labor side by side with its allies, employers, with the goal of driving value to the purchaser and to the patients rather than to the profits of the of the healthcare provider. It's a, an interesting concept and I'm fascinated by it. And now a word from our sponsor. Captivated Health is a single source solution for your clients and prospects in the education and engineering verticals. The founders of Captivated Health have 35 years experience working with healthcare and benefit clients. And over that time, they've developed a keen understanding of the unique problems mid-market clients experience. Frustrated by a lack of control, the unpredictability of ever-increasing healthcare costs, and the pressures and regulations of the Affordable Care Act, these groups have been adrift in the fully insured commercial marketplace. Until now, Captivated Health has built a program that solves those problems and does so with virtually no disruption to employees while saving clients millions of dollars. We wanted you to be among the first to know that Captivated Health is building a national distribution partner network so you can bring this cutting-edge solution to your education and engineering clients that you advise. To learn more about Captivated Health's solution, go to our website at www.captivatedhealth.com or click on our logo on the Shift Shapers website. I want to kind of move us forward a little bit. I know that at some point you guys did some work in the New Jersey public sector arena. And if you can describe that briefly, but what I'd really like to hone in on, because I think it's fascinating, is how you guys created and what the process was for the the pharmacy bidding on on that particular endeavor. Well, the first was... We had two initiatives, and the, and the pharmacy purchasing initiative was the second of the two. The first, lay the, the first one laid the foundation. The first initiative was after we were having some real success in dropping overall global health costs by redesigning primary care around the country. In the packing house industry, we'd seen double, we, we achieved double digit drops in, in global health care costs through redesigning primary care in the packing house industry. At the same time, Workers loved the fact that they had no copays, no deductibles, and unprecedented great access to personal physicians. Workers loved the new experience, if you will, and Solidaritas was designed to not only reduce costs, but to create a very positive experience for, for employees. In New Jersey, Governor Christie, a Republican governor, had been waging a very – well, had been waging a campaign against the benefits of public sector unions and had really – hostile, acrimonious rhetoric against the public employee unions in New Jersey for years. We're in about the 
seventh year of his term. He's in his second term. And he presents a plan to basically cut benefit costs really significantly, raise co-pays, raise deductibles. Leadership of the state legislature, as well as public sector unions, invited America's agenda to address the problem by redesigning care delivery in a way that could bring down costs of care without cutting benefits. And so we designed and ultimately won support from Governor Christie, from legislative Democrats, and from labor unions. The only party that really, parties that didn't really come on board enthusiastically were the, were the health plans, Horizon Blue Cross Blue Shield and Aetna. But the, the state from both parties and, and, and the employee representatives came on enthusiastically around the design of the largest direct primary care pilot program in the country, 800,000 eligible lives. Enrollment began on a voluntary basis. Today, there are nine health centers in New Jersey and more planned, and the patient experience is off the charts. Very popular. Out of that, labor unions wanted to address the next big issue that they faced, and that was the cost of pharmaceutical medicines, the fastest rising component of the total health spend. The total spend was still 10 to 15, some would argue 20% of total expenditures. It wasn't the lion's share of health costs, but unquestionably the fastest growing component of health costs for public employees. They again turned to America's agenda, and we made a proposal. We basically said, look, we observed that the the way that pharmacy benefit managers, folks have been focusing on on, on pharma manufacturers, I get it. We get it that, that costs are too high. They're hard to understand that there are abuses of patent protections. We know all the regular arguments. The problem is the state doesn't have any transactional relationship with, with pharma. Its relationship is with PBMs. They buy their drugs through PBM health contracts. So we looked at PBMs and basically we said, we don't know what the high value PBMs are because PBM pricing is so complex. Even if we had transparency, each drug in a, in a formulary with hundreds, even thousands of drugs, is de- the price of each drug is determined by multiple variables, and those are changing dynamically over the life of a contract. How can we know what this thing's going to cost us? Short answer is we don't. Unless we have the same kind of technology tools, the same algorithms to project drugs that PBMs have. So ultimately, this was our proposal. Let us create a truly competitive market for PBMs where we will say this is the contract we want. We want standardized definitions, which you don't have in the typical RFP or or, or request for proposals process, usually consultant-led. Let's lay out standardized terms, standardized definitions, a standard best-in-class contract, and ask PBMs to bid on our business model on our contract rather than bringing their respective proposals into an RFP process. And then let us deploy technology. Now we've got access to pretty pretty powerful and flexible and design big data analytics. Let's use big data analytics with deep knowledge of pharmacy pricing to project what the actual costs will be of these different PBM proposals. So in the end, what we were able to do is PBMs bid on our best-in-class contract rather than us selecting between their respective plans. We project out what the costs of each of those proposals would be. And now we have a homogenous product, a formulary, not their formularies, our formulary, our plan design. They're bidding on, on, on providing 
the product we have designed, and we are costing out what their proposals would cost, applying algorithms that are built around our contract. You know, to have a competitive marketplace, you need to know what you want to buy. We know what we want to buy. It's our formulary, and it's our utilization protocols. It's our plan design. Our consultants design that plan. That's what we're taking to market. But what we never knew before with PBM buying is what their proposals would actually cost in a reliable way looking forward. We proposed the acquisition of technology that could do that. We designed what the minimum specs had to be for that technology. The state actually did a search, a competitive search, purchased the technology, and we ran what we call a reverse auction. PBMs came and bid on our plan design. We costed out what the proposals were, and we actually put them into real-time competition with each other, just like eBay, except they're bidding downwards for our business. At the end of the day, Express Scripts, ESI, OptumRx, and CVS Caremark, the big three bid, the state decided to only take their bids. Through several rounds of, of bidding, the cost fell 18.5% below the last year of the former ESI contract. The reverse auction conductor projected $1.6 billion savings over three years. The state grabbed it in a heartbeat. And last, it was in October, the current governor, Governor Murphy, projected that pharmacy costs for state employees had actually fallen 25%. Let me tell you what that means. Last year, public school teachers in the plan had a 13% increase in their premiums. That's a big deal for teachers because they share premium payments along with the state. Big problem for the teachers union. Because of the RX costs drop primarily, their premiums this year have gone down, actually gone down by 1.1%. So that's a little over a a 14% reversal in the growth of overall healthcare premiums just because of those massive savings on the pharmacy side. Yeah, it's it's amazing when you kind of put the shoe on the other foot how much progress you can make on that. Unfortunately, we're out of time, but I hope you'll come back and, and we can chat some more. Mark Bloom, Executive Director of America's Agenda and also President of Solidaritas Health. Mark, thank you for sharing your expertise with our audience and thank you for being a true shift shaper. A delight to be with you today, David. Thank you. The Shift Shapers podcast is a production of Strategic Vision Publishing and David Saltzman. This podcast may not be reproduced in any form, in whole or in part, without the express written permission of the producers. All rights reserved. 